Amen. Open your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 5. And uh, so thankful that God is a God of great things. Amen. The greatest thing that God ever did and could ever do was allow his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be crucified on the cross for the sins of the world, that those who don't know him may come to know him and experience eternal life. He is an amazing God. Um, Love, love, love that song. What a powerful, powerful message in that song this morning. Uh, In Genesis chapter 5, we're going to get there in just a moment. And uh, I was going to go a certain direction this morning for Father's Day and uh, prepared a sermon this week. And then uh, really last couple of days, the Lord was kind of just kind of maybe encouraging me in a different direction. So last night, um, I grabbed a notebook, uh, just a spiraling notebook, and uh, I told Sandra, I said, I'm going to go in the bedroom for a few minutes. I feel like maybe we should go a different direction tomorrow. And so I was jotting down some things, and after, I don't know, an hour or so, she yelled out. She was like, are you doing okay in there? And I was like, yeah, I'm okay, I'm okay. And, uh, but this morning, I wanna, we're going to still talk about like a Father's Day message, if you will, um, but just a little bit different than what I was originally thinking. And so this morning, uh, I showed up at the office, and I was like, I better type this up because my handwritten notes, um, not a good deal. Yeah, you can't really read that stuff, especially when you're like scribbling and, you know, just kind of getting the thoughts down. And so uh, this morning we're going to talk about just a small snapshot of some dads from the Bible, some dads from the Bible. And we're going to talk about some of these examples and kind of walk through some of these lives just for a few moments each person. And obviously understand that in a little bit here when we get into these guys, um, these examples, we could spend weeks uh, or, or at least multiple sermons on every individual person we're going to look at. And so we're really doing a snapshot this morning. But I want to kind of express our heart this morning as, as a pastor and as a church. Um, obviously, you want us to be thankful for our dads this morning. Uh, I want you to be thankful for the father figure that God put in your life. Um, and realize the vital role that fathers play in their families' lives. To those who have lost their dad again, our hearts are with you as it is so difficult to lose a loved one, especially on a day that commemorates that person in your life. It is, it is hard to walk through today if you lost your dad. I understand that. Our hearts go out to you, and I pray God's comfort over you. Uh, to those whose maybe grandfather was more of a dad to them than their actual dad was, we rejoice that God has placed a man in your life that was able to walk with you and encourage you and lead you in a, in a great example of what a man can be. For some, it wasn't even a biological relative that filled the role in your life as a fatherly figure. It was maybe just someone, a godly man from church or, or a family friend or a neighbor or someone that really encouraged you and influenced you to be the man that you are today or the woman that you are today. Uh, that man, that father, that fatherly figure, that grandfather, uh, we are thankful for those men today. And we acknowledge that today and are so thankful for their impact in our lives Uh, The point we're trying to get at today is whoever that man was in your life, we're thankful to God for the fact that he put that person in our lives. So this morning, I want to kind of walk through some examples of some dads in the Bible. And I want us to be challenged and encouraged. And I don't want us to leave here today feeling like, okay, you know, Mother's Day is all about, you know, building up moms and edifying moms and talking about how great moms are. And then Father's Day, it's like we just unload the shotgun and just just blast the dads. Boom, boom, boom. You know, you're a horrible person. It seems like that's how it is in most churches. And we don't want to do that. Uh, We are so thankful for our dads or that fatherly figure in our lives. So we're going to look at these examples this morning, just some snapshots of a few examples. And let me just say this. If you're here today and you're you're a man that you're, you're not a dad, uh, yet, maybe God, sovereignly, you never will be a dad. I don't know God's plan for all every man's life in this room. 
maybe you're a man here today and you want to be married one day, you're younger and you're looking forward to being married one day, then this message is for you. Uh, as, as just followers of Christ, I believe this message is for us today. And sometimes when we do messages like this and we talk about dads or moms, uh, some people tend to think, okay, I can check out of that one. That doesn't apply to me. Uh, realize something. The Bible tells us that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Amen? Uh, every word in this book is inspired, breathed out by God himself, and is for you. Right? It's profitable for you. And so maybe you're not a dad here today, a different place of life. Uh, but let me just tell you, God's word is for you today. And let me tell you, too, if you're a, uh, a mom here today or a grandmother raising boys, uh, then I pray that you would hear some of these words, these examples, and realize how can we encourage young men to continue to grow in Christ to be the man that God has them to be. And so I pray that in whatever way God can, and as only God can, that he would speak into our hearts and lives this morning. And so we're going to kind of do a little bit of a Bible study. So we're going to read a lot of verses today. And I know usually we open to a text and we'll read a couple of supplemental verses. But I want to go to a lot of verses today. So I'm glad you have your Bible today. If you don't have a Bible, uh, you can pull out your device, your phone, or your tablet. You can download our app, North Goodland BC, in your app store. Get the Bible feature on there. Uh, maybe you use a different Bible feature, Bible app. Uh, but we want to have exposure to the Word of God. And then also, if you don't have a Bible and you would like one, we can give you that today at the Welcome Center. Just stop by and grab that. So Genesis chapter 5, and we're going to talk about some fathers of the Bible. And so the first one we want to look at this morning, and kind of somewhat going in an order, I guess, um, just was really the first one that God kind of laid on my heart last night, uh, was the father that walked with God. The father that walked with God. And we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. So Genesis chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. The father that walked with God. And I got to say, was that rim shot planned? Was that, where's Alan? I don't see, uh, he must have stepped out. Okay, got some water, okay. He needed some water. Man, did you see how he was playing? That boy was, mm, that was playing right there. I'll tell you what, Josiah leaned over and said, how does he do that? It's amazing, God's gift. But, so now he comes back in a little redder than he left probably, but that's okay. Um, but no, I was, I saw the rim shot and I was like, and Josiah's like, that was perfect timing. And I'm like, yeah, because they probably planned it. You know, but no, apparently not. It was just, Alan's just in the moment. He's just always on, ready to go with those things. So, well, when you're in the Corbett family, you're ready with a rim shot, probably at any given moment, just ready to go, because you never know what you're going to get, what you're going to get. So, uh, Genesis chapter 5, verses 21 to 24. Let's look at God's word together. It says, And Enoch lived sixty and five years and begot Methuselah. Again, any young mom, you know, moms ready to have kids? Just throwing that out there. Methuselah. You can't go wrong. All right. Verse 22. And Enoch walked with God after he begot Methuselah 300 years and begot sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Verse 24. And Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. I know Pastor Greg prayed, but let's just pray and ask God to affirm these things in our heart that we're going to read this morning. Father, we come before you today, Lord, just hungry to hear from your word. I pray that no one sitting in this room right now expects to hear anything from me, but I pray they expect greatly to hear from you. I pray that you'd speak through your word. I pray that you speak through your, rather speak through your word by the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Father, I pray that we would apply these truths to our lives by your grace through faith, that we would see a difference made in our lives. I pray for 
anyone here today, Lord, that is already realizing their shortcomings, their failures. They know they're not really where they need to be or where they want to be, and I pray that you let them know that your grace is for them, that the desire of our heart should be to please you. And, Lord, I know that things get in the way of that, but I pray that we would follow the desires of our heart in Christ to elevate you, to promote you, and make you known. And when something stands against that, Lord, I pray that we would refuse to give in, that we would walk away by your strength and by your grace, that you would be glorified above all things. Thank you for these examples we're going to look at this morning. And I pray you'd use each one in a mighty way in our lives. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so the father that walked with God, Enoch, one of the most popular individuals in the book of Genesis, specifically uh, Genesis 5. We're reading along in what's called a genealogy. Uh, Genesis has two very, very important genealogies. And I know that when you're reading the Bible and you get to a genealogy, which is basically like a family tree, it gets a little mundane, right? Like so-and-so begot, so-and-so begot, so-and-so begot, so-and-so, and you're like, okay, I get it. They had kids who had kids who had kids. Okay, we're good. We're there. But the names mentioned in Genesis 5 and Genesis 10 are vital in understanding the great plan that God was unfolding. It is amazing when you actually start to look at the giant plan that God was unfolding from from Adam and Eve all the way through to Matthew 1, and we see the birth of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. It It is this line that God keeps intact, perfectly intact from generation to generation, this line of blessing or line of promise. And so Genesis 5 is hugely important in understanding these things. And I know that when we read these names, it gets a little Old, But when you get to Genesis 5, verse 21, we come across a name that gets a few more verses. Now, this is really all we know about Enoch. I'll give you one more reference in just a moment that we kind of get a little more information. But we don't know much about Enoch. What we do know, apparently walking through here, is the Bible says that he walked with God after what point in his life. Like, what, what happened? And then he started walking with God, according to Scripture. He had a child. Right? Methuselah. He had a son named Methuselah. Now, I don't know about you, but I know when we first had children, when Anthony came around, my life changed. Right? When you have a child, your life changes. All of a sudden, things that you once thought were really important aren't quite as important anymore. Responsibility changes, right? Now, all of a sudden, you're thinking about, I gotta take care of another human being. Like, like I'm responsible for this person or persons, depending on how many children you have. And so we see that Enoch's life changed in the moment of having a son. Now, we don't know what Enoch was like before this. And I don't know about you, but I've always wondered, you ever think, like, what was Enoch like before Methuselah? Like, how old was he when he had Methuselah? 65. He lived a long time. Now, I know for some of you, like, hey, easy. 65 is not that long of a living, okay? Take it easy now, okay? By the way, show of hands, who would like to have a child at 65? Anyone? Anyone. Anyone? Okay, didn't think so, right? Okay. 65 years old, he has a son. He has a child. And his life changed. Now, we don't know what Enoch was like before this. I, we, we don't know that he was this horribly wretched person that, you know, like hated God and all this and then had a son and then now he walks with God. We don't know. Maybe he had some level of faith in God and understood what it was, who God was and what it was to follow God. But to whatever extent, the moment he had this child, according to God's word, he began now to walk with God. 
to actively engage in a relationship with God. He's, he's actively involved in this relationship with God. It's a growing relationship because if you're walking with someone, it's this idea of a continual relationship. It's active. And we know he gets to the end of his life and he was just not anymore because God, what does the Bible say? In verse 24, God took him. Now, again, we kind of leave that a little vague. If you want to write it down for notes, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5, gives us kind of a little bit more of a clarity that basically just reveals that God took him up, right? That God took him to heaven, that he did not actually see death. And this man Enoch walked with God after having a son, and he walked with God for a long time. Man, could you imagine? It says after he begot Methuselah, 300 years years. Could you imagine walking in a relationship, not physically we know, but just being able to grow in your faith for 300 years? Could you imagine where you would start and where you would be with Christ in 300 years if you walked with him actively pursuing him and in a relationship with him? And it's amazing to think about how Enoch grew, how he, he came to know the Lord in so many more ways to the point where he gets to the end of his life and God rewards his journey of walking with him by not allowing him to see death, but just took him home. And it's an amazing example from someone we really only read a few verses on. Enoch was a father that walked with God. Did he walk with God perfectly his whole life? No, apparently not. There was a changing in his life. And it was when he had a son. And so what that tells me is this. God can use you no matter when you came to Christ. Maybe you came to Christ later on in life. Maybe you didn't grow up in in a church home. Maybe you didn't go to church when you were a kid. Maybe you were saved at 25 or 30 or 35. and, And you look back and you think, man, God, but all that time I wasted. I don't believe that. I believe God was still working and I believe God will still use all of that in your life today. I don't think there's such a thing with wasting time with God. I think God, even in our mistakes, when we repent and turn to him, I think we can even give him those and he'll use them for his glory. I don't know how he does it, but he does. Think about the Apostle Paul's life. I mean, he was the greatest persecutor of the church, and yet God used that moment, those moments in his life, to actually affirm in his ministry the power of God's grace and the beauty of God's salvation. And so, yes, I understand what we mean when we say wasting time because we weren't living it for him in those moments, and I get that. We weren't really investing those moments for him. But don't believe for a second because you came to Christ later in life that somehow you're not as good as the person that grew up in church or that was saved as a child. No, no, God can use you. If you walk with him today, God will work greatly in your life. So we see here an example of a father that walked with God. So obviously the challenge is easy. The application is easy. As a dad... As a man, as a follower of Christ, am I walking with him? I mean, am I actively engaging in a relationship with him? The next example I want to look at, we're going to flip ahead a few chapters in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 12, we're going to see the father of the Jews. The father of the Jews. So we see the father that walked with God in the story of Enoch. And again, we're just kind of cycling through. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time on each one. But then we see a very famous example, the father of the Jews. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. We're not going to read all of 12, but I encourage you obviously to read this. The call of Abram who becomes Abraham. Okay. Genesis 12 and verse 1. Now the Lord said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country 
and from thy kindred, from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. This is the call of Abram. This is God inviting Abram into a journey. Now, a quick question. Where is God sending Abram? Where's the land? Now, according to Genesis 12.1, does Abram know where the land is yet? When's he going to find out where the land is and when the land's going to be revealed to him? When he starts walking. Come out from that kindred, that family, that country. Come out from all that's familiar. And once you start going down this journey, now I'll show you the next steps. Now I'll show you what's to come. And this is so how God can be in our lives as well. It's when we step out by faith that God reveals the next steps. You ever prayed and say, God, could you just show me what's coming? God, could you just show me the next six months, six weeks? For some, we pray those kind of prayers. God, I just want to be prepared. I just want to be ready. And the answer sometimes is either silence or it's a word of encouragement to just step out. But man, it's difficult, isn't it, to step out? Isn't it difficult to step out by faith when you don't know if the next step's going to be on solid ground? But the beauty is when we step out by faith, believing in God that he's leading us, man, it'll always be solid ground. It'll always be secure foundation because we're stepping on the truth of God's word. We're standing upon the truth of Christ. And so here Abram is an example to us of a man that stepped out, that, that followed in faith, that was willing to step out and go wherever God led. He was willing to step out by faith. So he follows God. Well, he follows God with imperfect faith. He follows God with imperfect faith. We know his mistakes well. He lied. He doubted God's plan. He had a child he wasn't supposed to have. He got involved in a relationship he wasn't supposed to be involved in. He made some decisions based in an imperfect faith, an imperfect understanding of God's will for his life. And yet, what do we see happens in the life of Abraham? How would you describe the life of Abraham? Would you say that he was, his life was cursed or his life was blessed? I think we would say his life was blessed. He was blessed financially. He was blessed in provision. And by the way, he was blessed spiritually. But why in the world would God bless a man who was imperfect, who had doubts, who actually sinned? who lied on a couple occasions. Because as you read Genesis 12, you find out that God makes a covenant with Abram. And God brought Abram into this relationship, and God decided that he was going to fulfill his plan and his purpose. And Abraham, yes, followed in faith, although imperfectly, believed, and it was credited him righteousness, although his belief wasn't perfect. And God chose to bless Abram because God decided to bless Abram, because God entered a new covenant with him. Genesis chapter 25, let's jump ahead. Genesis 25, verse 8. So we see the call of Abram in Genesis 12. Get all the way through to Genesis 25, we see that Abraham dies. Now, obviously we know quite a bit has happened in these chapters. Uh, what, one of the more famous stories of Abraham's life, most likely that you maybe know more than any other, is with his son Isaac. God calls Abraham to do what with Isaac? I want you to take your son and sacrifice him to me. That one son, the promised son, the one that I told you I was going to give you. And we know the story well. Abraham follows in faith. Again, we see the growth of Abraham from Genesis 12 to Genesis 22. I think it's 22 where we see the idea of Isaac. Is it Genesis 22? Yes. So we see this idea here of his growth of faith, but it's still imperfect. 
Genesis 25 and verse 8, we see an amazing testimony of Abraham. Genesis 25 verse 8 says, Then Abraham gave up the ghost and died in a good old age. I love that. Died of a good old age, an old man. I thought that was offensive, but okay, whatever. So I'm just going to, if I think that, I'm just going to be like, hey, you're an old man. Praise God. Okay. If I tell Rick, he would just say that. Praise God. Okay. It says here, an old man and full of years and was gathered to his people. Man, what an amazing testimony. So simple and direct that he died of a lot of years. That idea, that phrasing there and the cultural understanding would mean that he lived a blessed and fulfilled life. That he died happy and content with the life that he lived. When we see Abram's life from God's point of view, we see God crediting this man with righteousness because he believed, even though his belief wasn't perfect. See, we see the father of the Jews, the man that God called in Genesis 12, that if you remember Genesis 11 is a tower of Babel, and God disperses the people among the world. He he sends uh, language, and it confuses them, and then he disperses them. And then he gets to Genesis 12, and the whole point of the Genesis 12 story is to show, now I want you to go to those nations and tell them about me. Now I want you to be a missionary to those nations. That was the whole point of Israel in the Old Testament, was to be a missionary nation, to reveal to the other nations that this is who God is, and this is what God asks of us, and this is how we can know him. And so we see Genesis 12 as a vital chapter in the kind of the hinge of the Old Testament. And God chose a man like Abram, that wasn't perfect, that made mistakes at times, but yet because he decided to repent of those things, turn back and trust in God, that God was able to use him. And from God's point of view, he was a man that was credited with the righteousness of God because, yes, he believed, but remember, that belief was still imperfect. I want to go to another example here, another popular one. We see the father of the Jews, the father who walked with God. Now we see the father after God's own hearts. The father after God's own heart. Go all the way over to the book of Acts in the New Testament. I know we're jumping around quite a bit, but I love this verse. Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. So many of you could probably guess who the father we're talking about here, the father after God's own heart would be. Any guesses? King David. King David. Now, when we think about David's life, we think about many things. We think about a man that stood before giants. We think about a man that was fearless in the face of a great enemy. We think about a man that made a great mistake, too. A horrible sin. But I want us to see how Scripture summarizes the life of David. Now, there's much Scripture given to David, right? Uh, Tons of Scripture given, and First uh, Samuel and so on, and just many examples of all that he did. But I want us to see this summary verse of David's life according to the Word of God. Acts chapter 13 and verse 36. It says here, Acts chapter 13 and verse 36. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. Now, what does that mean there? For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, another translation may say this, he served his own generation in the purpose or by the purpose of God. 
That means scripture is saying that in David's life, that his life was all about serving his own generation, his people in that time, by the will of God. He fulfilled the will of God in his life by serving that generation in the will of God. So let me ask you a question. Did David always serve the purposes of God? Well, the obvious answer is no. No, of course not. He didn't always do what God wanted him to do. He committed adultery. He committed murder. Now you might say, well, he didn't actually kill Uriah, but he set it all up. He planned it. He had it ready to go, and he's the one that initiated the plan to see him killed. Then he tried to cover it up. So how in the world can Scripture say, in the New Testament, we look back and we say, no, 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 David served the purposes of God in his own generation. In human eyes, we would say David was done. David's useless. David has no purpose. And this is human understanding. We would look at David and say, you know what, you were a great man until this point, and then you blew it, and now you're useless. Now you, how could God ever use someone like you? Just be honest for a second in your own life. You don't need to raise your hand. But in your own life, have you ever felt that way in your life as a follower of Christ? Like, man, God, I don't even know how you could use someone like me. And David was at that point. But yet David did what, again, we see Scripture encouraging. He repented. He turned from his sin and desired to turn back to God. We must again see that in the economy of God, there is always grace to repent and turn back in this life. When we turn back in repentance, receiving his grace, we can be restored to our divine purpose. Consequences follow our choice to sin, which is just the way that it works. However, his grace to forgive and restore is greater than any consequence we may face. Now, I don't know about you, but, but I, I'm encouraged by that. When I, when, I, when I see Scripture says this is how God sees David's life, not that God ever condoned David's sin, and in fact, God sent Nathaniel to point out David's sin to him. And yet, because God is gracious and God is willing, as long as there is breath in your lungs, you can repent turn from that sin, receive his grace by faith, and now God miraculously, and I don't know how he does it, but he'll restore you to that divine purpose that he set before you. Here we see a father after God's own heart who made horrible decisions, and yet God says he served me in his own generation. He served my purposes in his own generation. By the way, I can't think of a better testimony that I would love to have on my tombstone. Any other men here? Any other dads thinking that way? Man, wouldn't it be amazing if you're remembered not because of your house or your finances or your career or your hobbies or how good you were at this or how good you were at that, how well you could swing a bat or how well you can shoot a gun or how well you can hit that target. But what if we were remembered as God's man because we serve the purposes of God in our generation? And that's the testimony that I know I haven't fulfilled I know I haven't followed greatly. I know I haven't always done. But man, I pray that that's the legacy that I'll leave behind. I pray that that's, as a dad here today or as a man here today, as a follower of Christ here today, I pray that that's what we're consumed with. But my concern is that I don't think that's male culture in our world today. I don't think that's even male culture in our churches today. I think it's more about the kingdoms we build than the legacy we leave behind for Christ in our world 
today, which is crazy to me. And we have a specific call as followers of Christ and specifically as men of God to leave a legacy that we would serve the purposes of God in our own generation. And again, I know what you're thinking, but man, pastor, I haven't, I haven't done that perfectly. Now, who has? That's the beauty of grace and repentance. Turn back and repent and watch God restore. So we see some other examples here quickly. And as I was jotting these notes down, I was thinking, oh man, maybe I'm going one point too far, but I think we'll be okay. By the way, I should tell you, my watch's battery's dead. <laughs> According to this, it is 9.51. So yeah, I, we haven't even started church yet. So I mean, we got all kinds of time. So it has it, I don't think it's even... I don't think it's even moving. So I put it on. I looked at my watch this morning in the office and I was like, 1226? What? Set my watch thinking it was just, you know, and I hit it and I was like, nope, it's dead. Okay, so we got all kinds of time. So, yeah, yes. Thank you, TJ, for the digital clock on the back wall, says the church with a gathered amen. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but I want to get into two more examples before we wrap up. So, two more examples. So, we've seen the father of the Jews, the father that walked with God. We've seen uh, the Father after God's own heart. But I want to jump to Mark chapter 9 and see another example here. The honest Father. Mark chapter 9. The honest Father. And Mark chapter 9 and verse 17. So again, kind of just continuing through this, kind of want to call it a Bible study, through some examples of some dads in the Bible. Uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 17. I know I say it often, but I really do love hearing God's, the pages turn in, in the Bible when we gather together to worship him because this is it's about his word this morning, not, not our words. Mark 9, verse 17. And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. He is possessed, is what he's saying. And wheresoever he takes him, he tears him, and he foams and uh, gnashes with his teeth and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. He answered him and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. I'm not going to unpack that all together, but by the way, who is he talking about there? His disciples. Now, he's speaking broader, but what led him to that statement? The fact that his disciples could not do this work. And so again, when we think of Jesus as this kind of mushy Jesus, that's pretty straightforward. And so let's go on here. Let's, let's continue with what he says here. He says, bring him unto me. And they brought him, un- brought him unto him. And when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him, and he fell to the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, how long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, of a child. And oftentimes it had cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Notice how the father is putting himself. It's not help him, it's help us. Could you imagine being this boy's dad? And every day, you don't even know what's going to happen that day. The heartache and the, just the pain you felt for years. Goes on to say this. Verse 23, And Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible him that believes. So he's again, he's kind of following up. Faithless generation. 
How long shall I suffer you? Then he says, but do you? Now he makes it very personal. Do you see this? Oh, this generation that is faithless, but how about you? Isn't it easy for us to go, oh man, we live in a faithless generation. Look at all these faithless people. And then God goes, well, where's your faith? And you're like, oh, let's, let's talk more about the crowd. <laughs> let's talk more about them than me. But Jesus makes it personal. He kind of points right into the situation. By the way, what can God do if there's faith? What can God do if there's faith? Anything. So what then is the parameter then? Because I can believe God could give me a million dollars. Man, I believe it. <laughs> I believe it. Right? Amen? No one else? Okay, all right, I believe it. I believe God can give me a million dollars. So then why doesn't God give me a million dollars? Because it's not in agreement with God's will for my life. See, we have to be careful when we read verses like this. We go, see, if you believe it, he can do it. Of course he can. But he also will only do what's in agreement with his will and what is best for his glory in your life in this time at this day and age. And so look what it goes on to say here. It says, I can do anything if you would believe. Verse 24, and straightway the father of the child cried out. I love that scripture says cried out. Not just said Right, but he cried out. And in his crying out, he said with tears. By the way, it's okay for a man to cry, by the way. Just throwing that out there. He said with tears, Lord, I believe. And I'm so thankful and encouraged. There's a comma, not a period. What follows that? But help thou mine unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him, and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and went, rent him sore and came out of him, and he was as one dead. So imagine the scene for a moment. You're running onto the scene. You see this, this boy, this, this young man being thrown to the ground, and then he's just laying there still. He looks like he's dead. And what does it say in verse 27? But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Do you notice that Jesus doesn't even say, arise, come to life, come forth? Jesus doesn't even speak a word. He just merely touches the, the young man by the hand, and he gets up. That's the power of your God. That's the power of your Savior. And I think we read this stuff, and we just kind of get it like, kind of like, that's just old, old news. I know that. Your Savior can raise someone from the dead after, by the way, casting a demon out of them because he has power over all of creation, physical life here on this planet and spiritual things in the spiritual realm. He is an amazing Savior. And I want to unpack this a little bit here because we've got one more example to get to. This is the example of the honest father, a man whose name we don't know but can all relate with in this life. So what do we know about this man? Two things become apparently clear when you read the text. Number one, he has a great love for his son. Do you see that? Has a great love for his son. Has great pain for what his son is going through. But the second thing that becomes obviously clear is he believes Jesus could help him. That Jesus could help them. He admits he believes and wants to believe fully, but admits his imperfect faith before Jesus. There's that idea again. Are we getting the pattern here? Are we getting that God's man doesn't have to have perfect faith, but just has to express faith in God and be honest in his unbelief? We see this example time and time again. God rewards this man's imperfect faith and shares, or as he shares honestly with humility, with a miracle. 
When you and I doubt, as we will all do at times, take your doubt to the Lord and cry out, Lord, help my unbelief. Now, we know God did this miracle for more than just blessing the young man that was possessed, blessing the father, providing that miracle for them. He also did it for the crowd so that he would be glorified, his deity would be affirmed. But don't lose it. This man cried out in honest humility and said, Lord, help my unbelief. And God rewarded that with a miracle. I mean, the truth is, does this man believe God can do all things? Yes and no. And yet God did something amazing in his life. Last example I want to look at. Go over to Acts. Back to the book of Acts, chapter 16. Acts, chapter 16. We've seen the honest father. And now I want to look at the father that fell on his knees instead of his sword. The father that fell on his knees instead of his sword. Acts, chapter 16, verse 25. I just looked at my watch. I just have it. It doesn't mean anything. Okay, Acts chapter 16, verse 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. How could prisoners hear them singing? Because they were in a jail. They've been beaten, put in the inner prison, which is the deepest part of the prison, chained and locked up, and yet they found themselves praising God, praying and singing psalms. Man, verse 26, And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prison was shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. It's his job to make sure they don't get out. They get out. He, it's a death sentence for him. So he figured, rather than someone killing me, I'll just take my own life. Verse 28, but Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, do thyself no harm, for we are all here. I mean, imagine the moving of God that a prison is broken open and none of the prisoners leave. No one flees. No one gets out. They're all in amazement of what's happening around them. Look how it says here in verse 29. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. Man, just... In just humility and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That is the most important question any man, any person can ask. The most eternal question that you must know an answer to, according to God's word, is what must I do to be saved? And by the way, all religions of the world have been trying to answer this question for generations. What do I got to do to be saved? Is it me doing something for God? Is it me praying seven times a day? Is it me going on these pilgrimages, being good and being moral and doing good works and saying these prayers and reciting these things and doing this and doing this and doing this? Or is it merely receiving the free gift of salvation that Christ offers? What must I do to be saved? goes on to say this in verse 31, And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Man, what's the beauty of the gospel? Faith in who? Jesus Christ. It's Jesus plus nothing. Jesus plus nothing. It's not Jesus plus A, Jesus plus B, Jesus plus church, Jesus plus baptism. It says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. So they're, they're expounding the word of God to them and explaining what they mean in the previous verse. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, and he and all his, his straightway. 
And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. Another man whose name we don't know, but who changed not only his own eternity, but apparently his entire household. This man held authority over Paul and Silas. He was free, and they were his prisoners. However, he became aware that in reality they were free, and he was the one bound by the chains of sin and need of saving. Could you imagine this exchange that takes place? He went from thinking he held all the power to realizing he was powerless. And that these two men that he had in chains now are the free ones that he's asking, what do I have to do to be saved? He humbled himself and was saved. His faith was seemingly shared with his household, and they together were baptized. This baptism would have taken place after they confessed faith in Christ. This was not the father being saved. And through his faith, the family now becomes Christian, as though somehow when the dad gets saved, everyone else gets credited with the faith. The gospel must be received and confessed individually. The father did not keep his faith to himself, but shared it and allowed others to share it with his household. He led his family to Christ so that they might be made free as we are made free in Christ. The truth is our church culture, in many ways, not just here at North Carolina, but in our country, encourages women to be active in the church and their faith. While men think it's not really for them, in our church culture today, in America today, it's expected that a woman will go to church and raise the kids in church, but for a man, it's somehow become optional. I'll give you a small little example of this. It's kind of a silly example, but I hope it kind of rings true. TJ and I were talking this week, and he said, hey, he said, I've got a couple ideas for some, you know, a little video I want to share for Father's Day. I'm doing some looking through some different ministry websites that we work with, and I was like, that's awesome. And then he was showing me, and I was, he showed me this video. I was like, I love it. That's awesome. This morning I was talking. But you know what he told me? He said something kind of hit him was he said, there's not nearly as much in that area of resources under men as there is, or under Father's Day as there is under Mother's Day. There was tons more under Mother's Day than Father's Day. Why is that? Because our church culture in America for, not by the way, a long time now, this is not new, is that Mother's Day, the family goes to church for mom. Father's Day, we'll go to church as long as there isn't something else planned. Now, I'm not saying we don't take vacations. I'm not saying we don't get out of town. Please don't look around and go, well, that's, the, that's their problem. No, don't do that. Because you have no idea what's going on. I'm just merely pointing out, the remember, the big, broad stroke of this. That we live in a church culture today where women are stronger or more encouraged than men to be active in their faith. Now, I'm so thankful that I don't believe North Goodland is that kind of church. I don't believe that we encourage that here. I'm, I'm so thankful for the men that we have in this church, not just the dads, but the men of our church. Not just the fathers, but the men that serve, that love the Lord, and that lead their community. And if God has blessed them with a family or their children, their grandchildren. And so I, I believe we have great godly men in our church, and I'm so thankful for that. I think about our men on our board that serve as trustees, those that serve as trustees but won't have the title of trustee because they don't want the title, they just want to serve. I think about those men, and I'm so thankful for them. I'm so thankful for our deacons that, that I can sit with and just share, hey, this is what I'm thinking, what do you think? And I... I know their hearts are for the Lord. I know they don't desire to please man. They desire to please God. I'm so thankful for the men of our church. But I want to encourage you today. I, I believe that, that men of Christ can do more than we've done. 
I know I can be doing much more as far as for the cause of Christ than I've done as a dad and as a father and as a follower of Christ. And so I give you that little example to say this, man, let's be aware. Let's change that cultural norm. Let, let's, let's change it. Let's challenge it and let's change it. I want to give you one more scripture. Go over to James chapter 5. One more scripture. Now, this isn't really an example that I'm looking to as far as a fatherly example. It's a verse that I love because it encourages me as a man, but also as a follower of Christ. And I pray that it would encourage you as well. James chapter 5 and verse 17. When you think about these examples we just gave, Enoch, Abraham, David, the father who came before Christ and was honest and open, the, Phil- the Philippian jailer that came and fell before Paul and Silas and said, I need to know Christ, I need to be saved. We elevate these people and say, man, they're heroes in the faith. Let me just tell you something, they're just men. They're just human beings, just like us. James chapter 5 and verse 17. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. The ESV translation says it this way. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. He had a nature like ours. Elijah, one of the men that appeared with Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration, which we spoke about a couple weeks ago, was a man just like us. And yet, as we see and know and trust in Christ, God used him tremendously. So my encouragement to you is this. Be encouraged that you are not abnormal. That when you stumble and you're tempted and you fall and you repent and turn back and you say, God, I receive your grace, I want to live for you, and you desire to stand for Christ, that Elijah, one of the greatest prophets, he's kind of the, the prophet, remember Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah. And it says Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. That means he had a sin nature just like us. He was tempted just like us. By the way, did Elijah have perfect faith? What did Elijah do when a Jezebel raised up and said, I'm going to come after you and kill you like you killed my prophets? What did, what did the great prophet Elijah do? He ran. He ran as far south as he could, left his servants, ran a little farther, then said, God, would you just kill me? (laughs) Great prophet Elijah, the great prophets, was a man just like you and I, was human just like us. And yet God used him tremendously. Why? Why does God keep using these imperfect people over and over again who have imperfect faith? Because they called out to him, they had a relationship with him, and he desired to make his glory known. And so wherever you are right now as a follower of Christ, I pray that you would be encouraged by God's word today, that God can use you right where you are to make an impact for him in ways you can't even imagine. To the younger kids in here, those that would normally be in junior church, to our teenagers, don't think it's got to happen when you get older. You, you get your eyes on Christ right now. You focus on him. You say, God, I want you to direct me. You give me opportunity. And then you speak the word of God as God gives you opportunity. You pray and ask God to give you wisdom. And watch God change your community, your family. Watch God make a difference through your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for this morning. Father, Father, I thank you for these examples we read in Scripture. From Enoch to Abraham to David to two men in the New Testament. We don't even know their names. But we see their 
hearts. We see their desires. We see their humility. And so, Father, I pray that as a, as a dad and as a father, Lord, as a, as a husband, as just a follower of Christ, I pray that you would affirm these things in my heart and mind, that I would know that you're not looking for a perfect man or a perfect woman. You're looking for someone that's making themselves available. You're looking for someone that's making themselves or that's putting themselves in great submission under your mighty hand. And so, Father, help us to surrender today, to be in line with what you have for us, to step out by faith, even when we don't know where it's going to go, but we know you're with us. Father, in all these things, and we covered a lot of ground today, Father, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just, just speak to our hearts and minds as only you can. We love you, Lord, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Would you stand to your feet this morning as the praise band leads us a song of invitation? Would you respond? Maybe you want to come and pray. Whatever God is doing, would you just end, receive that this morning and follow that by praying this morning and asking him to keep working in your heart and mind as you respond.